0: Thank you, Gerard. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good <laughs> to see such a good number here this morning. It's so only smiling faces. Um, we've been going through the Bible uh, through John Stott's book called "Going Through the Bible." I think it's called. I don't have a picture of it, but uh, if you are going through it, we're up to uh, talking about kings. If you remember last week, Stanley talked to us about uh, judges, and Stanley is a truly hard act to follow. I've got to admit, he's a uh, it's, <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but, uh, but anyway, we're going to talk about kings. We're going to, um, the, uh, the kings in the Bible are covered by four books in, in our Bible, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Uh, back in the old days, when they were first written, 1st uh, and 2nd Kings were just one book. It was just kings, and about 250 BC, they were, they were split up mainly because they wouldn't fit on a great big piece of papyrus, so they had to split it into two bits so it would fit. And same with Chronicles, it was just uh, one book. So if you are reading through the Bible, those are the books that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. So there were about 40 kings, and that's a lot. Um, And I'm not going to talk about every one this morning. I'm just going to go really fast and skim right over them, so kind of hold on to your hats. Uh, So how did we get from the judges that Stanley spoke about uh, uh, last week to the kings. And there's a, a prophet, uh, There's a section here from Genesis where God speaks to uh, Jacob, who we've seen on the videos this morning. And he said this, And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you and I'll give this land to your descendants after you so the kings were predicted some people think the kings were never meant to be but uh, but uh, they were prophesied in advance of God promised uh, Jacob that uh, kings would come from him and from that nation so how did we get from being judges... Oh, sorry, hang on. We seem to have okay. Let's talk about the nation. This is a promised land that, uh, that the judges, uh, that, that was taken over when the judges came in and these, um, when the changes finished as well. I'll just talk a little... I quite like geography, so I could talk for a couple of hours on this alone, but uh, I'll try not to. Do you see the green bit at the bottom? Uh, the different colours are the different tribes, the 12 different tribes of, uh, of Israel. The big green bit at the bottom is, uh, is, is Judah, and you can see there's a yellow bit right inside Judah's territory, and that's called Simeon, and uh, that was Simeon's area. And there's a little blue bit above, the, uh, above Judah's territory, that is the tribe of Benjamin. And those three areas, those three tribes are what we call the southern Israel, um, Jerusalem is in Benjamin's area, and if just below Jerusalem you can see Bethlehem. Perhaps you can't see it, it might be difficult to read. Uh, it's Bethlehem, where King David uh, was born, and also Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And below that is Hebron, where, uh, where King David had his first uh, capital. So there, uh, that's southern Israel. You've got it borders against the Dead Sea. And up above and to the right there, to the, to the east, are all uh, the northern the northern kingdom, that's the other nine tribes of Israel. And they stretch way over into modern-day Amman, and not modern-day Jordan, and Syria up in the top, and they actually cut right across it, right into what is modern-day Lebanon that's been in the news in the last, uh, in the last week. Um, so they didn't always occupy all that territory. It kind of flowed in and out, as a, as, because what you can see from here. Is that they were surrounded by other foreign tribes in the far north, right at the very top. You can see the Hittites; um, uh, they were a very they were an empire for a long, long, very close to being an empire, and they stretched way up into southern Turkey. It's an odd thing. Is uh, until uh, uh, last year, the Victor- well the Victorians used to use it as an argument for why the Bible couldn't possibly be true because they couldn't find any evidence of the Hittites at all, and the Bible talked about them frequently. But in 1910, they found the capital of the Hittites' empire in southern Turkey, so they had to come up with another reason for uh, disbelieving the Bible. But um, the Aramaeans, uh, uh, modern-day Syria, and in fact, another name for the Aramaean language is uh, Syriac or Chaldean, and uh, the Aramaean language became Aramaic, and that was a, a world language. It was spoken all over um, all over the world at the time. I don't know how this little group here managed to get their language everywhere. The Ammonites, modern day uh, Jordan. In fact, the capital of Jordan is called Amman, uh, named after the Ammonites. And in the south of the Moabites, the Philistines that we hear all about um, and judges are on, the, are on the left-hand side there. And they, that's the Gaza Strip today. Those uh, three cities, Ashdod, Escalon, and Gaza, and they've still got the same names. All those cities are still there, still the same names. Uh, Philistines. In actual fact, the word Palestine is the same word as Philistine. Neither Arabic nor Hebrew has a P sound. For some reason, uh, they use an F instead of a P. And if you read uh, the word Palestine in Arabic, it says uh, Falistani. I don't know how you pronounce it in Arabic, but that's what it reads. So Philistine and Palestine are the same word. So that was uh, Israel. They were surrounded by enemies. Surrounded by enemies. We'll keep going. So in Samuel, we read that um, we read that the uh, the, um, the people of Israel came to Samuel, who was the last of the judges, and they demanded uh, that Samuel give them a king. so so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow your ways. And they're trying to figure out what what happens next to the, the, the country of Israel. Your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, God, give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, at the time, the place was run by judges, and the judge recognized that God was their king. But the people wanted to be like these other nations that surrounded Israel, who had a king, because the king rallied the troops, and it was someone to look to, and it means means that they had some kind of a person, a certainty, and they didn't have to rely and put their faith in God all the time. They wanted to ditch that whole thing. They were uncomfortable with it. So Samuel appointed a king. And he anointed uh, King Saul. And we have these first three kings of Israel. And i put them up there because most people are familiar with who they are anyway. And in fact, he didn't actually anoint a king. He anointed a leader. Saul was anointed to be a leader, not a king. And he kind of became a king. It was a... A title that he took upon himself rather than a title that he was given. So here we have Saul. So Saul became king of Israel. It's not so much that um that God was against kings, he was he was against People wanting to be like the nations around them. The people, are in, uh, the people of Israel were to be a different sort of a people, set, ab- set apart and holy. The first king is Saul. Um, and we all know something about King Saul. King Saul's problem was that he failed to grasp the critical requirement of a king of Israel. That is, the king of Israel must obey God's words implicitly. In the kingdom of Israel, the king is subject to the same laws as the people of Israel. That is, he's subject to God's word. And this concept is the opposite, for example, of what the Canaanite kings, the Philistine kings, and the Ammonite kings, and everybody else did around them. Saul may have been king of Israel, but there was another king above him. Saul may have been the king of Israel, but he's also subject to that other king. He was a subject of God's kingdom. Saul wanted to do things his way, but over time he felt God turning away from him. So Saul, but Saul was still unwilling to stop doing things his own way and allow God to do things God's way. So we know that Saul eventually grew increasingly bitter and morose. So while Saul was still king, Samuel identified King Saul's replacement, a young man David and we've all heard a little bit about David David wasn't an obvious choice for King he was smaller and he you know it didn't come from such a grand family as King Saul but David's attitude towards God was the opposite of Saul's attitude David's attitude is one of obedience from the heart and David honored God and God honored David things nevertheless, we often think of King Saul as, uh, as a great king, and he's quoted as a great king, but things didn't go well for him. In the first 10 years since he was anointed in that decade, up until he was about 30 years, he was always on the run and always in danger. David lived in constant danger from Saul, who wanted to kill him, and from the kings of the surrounding countries and their armies, and David moved from one perilous circumstance to another. At every point, David always gave God the credit for rescuing him and his colleagues time after time after time. And this is something King David wrote. King David actually wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms that we read in our Bibles today. Interesting thing about that is King David often refers to the King of Israel, God as being the King of Israel, not himself. So in Psalm 59, 1-2, he says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. And An interesting thing about this is we kind of think this as being a metaphor or some kind of picture of uh, you know how God can save us when we're in trouble. But David really was in trouble when he wrote these things. He really did, he could go on the roof of his house and look out and he could see the people standing out there carrying swords who wanted to kill him. He, he genuinely was in trouble. And when, uh, when, uh, when David wrote, be my fortress, he needed a fortress to live in because people genuinely wanted to kill him. Once Saul passed away, Samuel David anointed David as king. And for a while, David, King David lived in Hebron in the south. But then King David fought against a foreign tribe called the Jebusites, who lived in what was called Jerusalem. And they occupied the small, it was then just a little fortified town on top of a rugged hill. If you've ever been there, it's an odd place for a, for a city to be. But he managed to beat the Israelis and, 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 and kick them out, and uh, beat the Jebusites and kick them out. And then he moved into Jerusalem and made it his capital city, and he strengthened the walls. And since that time, Jerusalem has been the uh, the capital of Israel. And that's why it's sometimes called the City of David. King David wasn't necessarily uh, always good. He had problems. Um, he was uh, he was inured to violence because he had to fight enemies so much. It seemed he was. A little bit blank to it, um, um, but his biggest black mark was one conspiratorial act. In one conspiratorial act, when he uh, when he sent uh, Uriah the Hittite to his death in order to commit adultery with Uriah's wife, most of us know the story. But uh, this was something that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have mattered to other kings in the area, but to a king of Israel, this was a this was something for which he was condemned. But the difference between King David and the other kings is that he repented immediately. King David was quick to repent. He knew he knew when he'd done something wrong and he backed down and he changed his ways. He had a heart for God. David repeatedly owned up to his wrongdoing and publicly turned back to God. David repented. And consequently, God blessed King David and blessed the nation of Israel. And today, the, uh, the Hebrews look to King David as being one of the greatest kings that have ever lived. So David chose his son Solomon to be the next king of Israel. And we hear about King Solomon. We know about him as well. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba, whom we have already mentioned about. And Solomon, Solomon was a truly extraordinary man. Um, he started off very well. He built a temple for God in Jerusalem, and uh, and the temple wall is still there. You can go and still. In fact, it's probably the only thing you can see from that era. That uh, archaeological thing you can see from that era, and they've still got the one wall left of Solomon's temple that you can go to. Uh, he built public buildings right across the nation. He was a fantastic administrator. So he split the country up into twelve areas, and he set up governors and all sorts of things, and gave it got everybody communicating and he ran a tight ship, he ran a, a well-run country, and he became extremely wealthy. He set up trade networks with uh, neighbouring nations, and that made him very rich. But Solomon's connections with the nations around him led to his downfall. He often formed connections with nations by marrying into their royal families and their aristocracy. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, quite famously... It says that Solomon collected 700 wives and 300 concubines. And for those of you being married for a while, it just takes your breath away, doesn't it? It's just astonishing. But uh, these women brought with them the gods of the nations from which they came. And it seems King Solomon no longer remained faithful to the one true God. He set up points of worship for other gods in various places in his nation, and, uh, and that led to his downfall. So Saul, David, and Solomon, they presided over a single country, a combined 12 tribes of Israel. It was a united kingdom of Israel, and these were the glory days of Israel when the Jewish uh, nation considered uh, When the the Jews today, when the Israelis today consider the restoration of the nation of Israel, they're thinking of the restoration of Israel back to how it was when Saul, David and Solomon were kings. But it didn't last. King Solomon passed away and he was succeeded by his son Rehoboam and Rehoboam just wasn't a smart guy. He just wasn't a good king. Consequently, a fellow, uh, another fellow, he was an administrator, called Jeroboam, stepped into a a power vacuum in the northern part of the country, and he, he declared himself to be a separate king, King Jeroboam I. So Israel then split into two separate countries. And we often talk about Israel as if it's one country, but for most of its time, when it was a nation, it was actually two countries, a country in the north and a country in the south. So the south were the the green and the blue areas, Judah and, uh, and Benjamin. And the rest was the northern part of the country. And King Rehoboam I was the first king of that northern part. So the book of First Kings is about uh, the kings of the northern Israel. And then there's a second list, a second story, uh, about the kings of the southern Israel. And there's about 40 of them altogether. It's a big list, um, for a while, there was a civil war between the north and the south, and then they kind of settled down into uh, an uncomfortable truce, where the the border across uh, across across Benjamin and Judah was a kind of bit of no man's territory. But they settled down into two nations. So, should I have a list. Oh, there we go. A list of the northern kings. We're not going to go through all these. This is too many. But um, you see, Jeroboam the first is uh, is at the top. Should be Rehoboam, but okay. Um, Just looking at the list there, I mean, um, I can talk a little bit about Ahab, was the one that stands out. Notice here in the third column, um, it tells you whether they were good or bad, and uh, the northern kings were not good. And they were mainly good because they worshipped other gods, and they set up temples and places and shrines to other gods, and the Israelis were led away. And tended to be maybe one day they 'd worship uh, the God of Israel, and then the next day they 'd be off down the local shrine they 'd be worshiping another God, and they failed to uh, to to turn away and to settle on the one true god there 's one there jehu who, was, who started off good, then he turned bad, but all the others were bad, and some were worse than others, and i didn 't put that in to say whether they were worse than others they were all they were all condemned. Uh, one that stands out is Ahab he was uh, he was, uh, he was married to Jezebel. If you've heard of Jezebel, everybody's heard of Jezebel. It's almost a byword for, for a, bad, uh, a bad person. But um, Jezebel was uh, 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 the daughter of the king of the uh, Phoenicians who lived up in modern-day Lebanon. And she did everything she possibly could to actually remove uh, the worship of God from Israel, just completely eradicate it. She imported imported prophets of Baal. Baal was their god up in Phoenicia, and they they came and moved in, and they they became the priests of the northern kingdom. Um, At the time, uh, Ezekiel, Elijah, sorry, was a prophet. And uh, and Elijah, whenever uh, things would build up and get increasingly bad, and then Elijah would come in and do something really dramatic. And this is where this is going Ahab and Jezebel, that uh, you have the story of the, uh, the Mount of Carmel, where uh, Elijah goes up and he sets, a, he sets a, you know, a big pile of water on fire. And, um, and uh, 450, as a consequence of that, it's proof that there was only one true God of Israel, 450 of the prophet of Baals were put to death. And that was a big story. It had a, I mean, it's a big story as to us today, but it was a big story back then. Ahab and Jezebel, following the Mount Carmel incident, no king following that ever tried to oust God, of, God from Israel completely or, or replace God from Israel. They were just too scared. They uh, it was too much for them. So that put an end to, uh, to trying to get rid of God altogether. Ahab and, uh, Another interesting thing about Ahab, he followed Omri. He was the son of Omri, uh, who was, I believe, the son of Zimri. Zimri was only a king for six days, so it uh, didn't last very long. But Ahab, Omri and Ahab lasted for a long time and and Israel actually prospered under them. They did very well. Uh, They became quite wealthy and they built big houses and uh, today you can go there and they have archaeological sites and they dig up palaces and so on that uh, date back to their time. Um, But from the Bible's perspective, they're not really interested in whether they were rich or not. They were interested in whether they followed God and whether they kept to the covenant. And they didn't. They were thoroughly condemned. Down the bottom, around about Jeroboam II, he's fourth from the bottom. Fifth, actually, fifth, you can't see the bottom line. but um, A big threat from the east came in uh, called the Assyrian Empire. and uh, this, was the, this was really the first global empire in the entire world. The uh, Assyrians developed this kind of method of coordinating countries and empires that enabled them to bond together, all sorts of vassal nations, and, and create a huge empire. And uh, and and they marched right across the west, right into Israel, and uh, they took over the northern kingdom. They attacked them many times, and by the end of the by the end of the kingdom, the Assyrians just wiped them all out and uh, um, took over. So the Assyrians' capital is. Uh, has been in the news recently. Uh, was Nineveh? Um, Jonah was one of the was one of the uh, prophets during that time, and uh, and we all know the story about Jonah and the whale, and as he tried to run away from going to preach to Nineveh, but he went to Nineveh and broke, preached and brought them back to God. At one point, it didn't last, um, but uh, Jonah was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. Um, Nineveh this, today is modern-day Mosul. If you've heard of Mosul, they were. Um, this is a picture of Mosul, actually. You can just see the city of Mosul in the far right corner. Um, and these are the walls of Nineveh. So you can see the walls of Nineveh. They've been rebuilt and put together a little bit. Uh, but you can see Mosul and ISIS uh, took over Mosul and it was their centre of operations a couple of years ago. But, uh, but uh, US-trained troops, Iraqi troops, drove them out. Or at least they came to an agreement and they left. Um, but yes, you can go see these walls of Nineveh today. That's what it looks like. Uh, so Mosul is modern-day Nineveh. <coughs> um, the Assyrians face their own problems, and uh, they were also dealt with quite severely. Um, so, which brings us to the next, which brings us to the next kingdom, the southern kingdom. I don't know. Are we getting there? Oh, here we go. It was a. Oops, I can't get Oh, yeah, we can go back. Is that this is the list of the southern kings. So they, uh, they started off, um, sorry, Rehoboam is uh, yeah, the first king of the of the southern kingdom. Just looking at the list, there is one, Athalta is not a man's name, that's a lady's name. So uh, one of these kings was actually a queen, just to throw us a bit. And some of these names you might recognise, some you won't. But uh, the Bible tells a little story about each one and, and tells you whether these were good and bad. Uh, Something is that at least some of these were good kings. Um, So the first good king was this, Asa and Jehoshaphat. And further down, there were some particularly good kings who were were credited as being almost as good as King David and King Solomon and so on. Um, So the southern kingdom included Jerusalem, where the temple was located. So you'd kind of expect the southern kings to fare better than their northern counterparts. They had a reminder right, sitting right in front of them that God was, was the true king of Israel. Um, we've already heard a little bit about King Rehoboam, who was a son of Solomon. And he wasn't so clever. Um, king Asa, King Jehoshaphat were good kings. Um, 2 Kings chapter 18 has absolutely nothing but praise for King Hezekiah, who's near the bottom. Um, indeed King Hezekiah is compared to King David for his commitment to following the God of Israel. But if you really want to cheer yourself up, you should uh, read the story of King Josiah. Um, I think he deserves number one rank. I don't know why he's he's, he's given a a bum rap, but uh, amongst the southern kings, he had a very long list of good things that he did. Um, uh, King Josiah... Um, he discovered the the Bible or what was then the Bible in the in the temple, and he uh, and he read it, and it completely turned him around. He was only a young man, 18 years old, when it happened, and he travelled the length of the country. By this by the time uh, King Josiah was king, um, the northern of the the northern part of the country had begun to fall, and he was able to travel up and down the entire nation, and uh, he found temples and shrines everywhere, and he and he. Uh, And he just destroyed them all. Uh, But uh, the interesting thing about the story of Josiah is just how many temples and shrines he killed and how long they were there for. And it wasn't so much that King Josiah repented. He did repent. He was a great king. But the people themselves, their bad behavior, their worship of other gods was completely enshrined in in, in their behavior. And he couldn't turn the people around. So there was another empire followed the Assyrians called the Babylonians that we've heard a little bit more about. Uh, Babylonia is, uh, is still exists today. Um, what's it called? It'll come to me. It's in Iraq. Hmm? Yeah, it's in Iraq. Yeah. Um, Baghdad, sorry. It's Baghdad is Babylonia. It's the city of Babylonia. And the Babylonians figured out what the Assyrians were doing. They copied them, only they did it better. And they beat the Assyrians, and then they came and met the southern kingdom. And by the end of the kings, actually, it started with King Hezekiah. He met the first of the Babylonians, and the, and the Babylonians, by the end of the last king, they completely wiped out those kings and the nation of Israel, and then the nation of Israel was gone. It was about 300 years. The kings lasted for about 300 years. An interesting thing is that Isaiah was, uh, was one of the prophets at the end. And... Um, Isaiah was beginning to get a handle on this king thing. He began to realize it wasn't really working. And this is one of his prophecies. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. See, God made a promise to make the people of Israel into a nation, but the kings and the people failed to live up to the promise. God repeatedly, through the prophets, reached out to successive kings and tried to persuade each generation to turn back to him. But instead they slipped further and further away. And then Zion here paints a picture of a new type of king. This king is born and the government's on his shoulders. But it's a divine king. He's a a wonderful counsellor and a mighty God. He's a prince of peace and the greatness of his governments and peace there will be no end. The kingdom of Israel had failed, and it had become clear that a new sort of king was required, with a new sort of a kingdom, with a new covenant, and a new sort of citizen with a renewed hearts that don't turn away from God, with hearts like King David or King Hezekiah or King Josiah. So in 1 Peter 2 and 9, we find that God has chosen a new people to make up a new nation. And 1 Peter 2:9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And 1 Peter 2:9 he, here, Peter here is quoting from another verse way back in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. And in fact, uh, if you read the King James Version, it doesn't say, uh, but you are a chosen people. It says, you are a peculiar people. I like that, peculiar people. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people who who follow, who, 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 the believers today, who are these peculiar chosen people. These are the people whom you sit next to in church. These are the new citizens in the kingdom of the son he loves. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13, 14, 4. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is a new type of citizen. This is a new kingdom. and this is a, But it's the same king king of israel and the king over this over this new kingdom we're asked to pray in the lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the kingdom is here but the fully established kingdom is yet to come someone told me it's a bit like a it's a bit like a mobile phone network there are probably uh i don't know 50 mobile phones in this room right now and they're all busy um they're all busy communicating with telephone, cell phone tires somewhere. And the air looks clear, but it's full of stuff um, that we don't see. And this new kingdom, um, there is a world that's hostile towards God, but there is an unseen kingdom of ordinary people whose hearts are being persuaded to follow God. And these people are an unseen kingdom. Living within hostile territory. They acknowledge God's grace and God's mercy and they seek to set themselves apart for God's glory. And that's the church. And one day Christ will, about to finish up, well, one day Christ will take his place. He'll take his place on earth, on his throne, among his people. And at that point, he will then be visible, the visible fulfillment of those. 40 or so kings of israel that we can read about in our bibles so i'd encourage you to read the stories of the kings and uh, to participate in this new kingdom that he's made as a part of thanks for it.
1: great thank you very much uh, gerard for that tour through kings they are big books aren't they And it's a bit hard to you know you can skip through titus pretty quickly but Kings takes a lot of reading. So thank you, Gerard, for uh, giving us a recap of all that. It's good to visit some old, uh, well, we won't call them friends, but some old Kings back then. Thank you very much. Opportunities now are given for the uh, collection of our supplies and offerings the bucket will be around shortly. Um, if you have filled out that Connect card, please pop that in the uh, the container as it goes by. Our, um, our band will move to the front shortly and we'll finish on the final song our uh, worship leader will uh, direct you um, when to stand please uh, remain seated for the first part Uh, while the band's uh, moving into place uh, we'll just uh, pray for the offering heavenly lord and father we uh, thank you for this morning father we thank you that we can come here to give you worship and praise father Just pray as the offering is collected, Father. Pray you give wisdom and guidance to those who would administer it, Father. Pray you would guide them in that, that your name will be glorified above all others in Jesus' name. Thank you.